Hello, I'm Dr. Scott Wadier. And I'm Tommy Welling, and you're listening to the Fasting for Life podcast. This podcast is about using fasting as a tool to regain your health, achieve ultimate wellness, and live the life you truly deserve. Each episode is a short conversation on a single topic with immediate actionable steps. We cover everything from fat loss and health and wellness to the science of lifestyle design. We started Fasting for Life because of how fasting has transformed our lives, and we hope to share the tools that we have learned along the way. Welcome to the Fasting for Life podcast. My name is Dr. Scott Wadier, and I am here, as always, with my good friend and colleague, Tommy Welling. Good afternoon to you, sir. Hey, Scott. How are you? Doing fantastic, my friend. Happy New Year to you, sir. Yeah, I cannot believe that it is officially 2024. Wow. Man, 2023 went by fast. An incredible year. Just incredibly grateful for each and every one of you that's listening in. If you're new yeah. to the podcast, thank you for giving us a chance. If you want to learn more about our story and how fasting transformed our lives and how, you know, and why we come each and every week with an episode, you know, life application, fasting application, research, head back to episode one, give it a listen. If you're looking for a refresh and you're a long-term listener, uh, you can always head back to the milestone episodes, right? So episode mm -hmm. 50, episode 100, episode 150. Last year at this time, we had a couple of cool episodes as well about perspective and goal setting and things like that. So every year we want to bring you an intention to end the year with momentum. So we've done some recent episodes on the holidays and holiday waking. If you missed them and you were just, you know, blinders were on. You're like, I'm just going to get through the season. Right. Hopefully you had some good moments and enjoyed time with friends and family and loved ones, but it's time to get back on track. You know, the reality is that happens. So we want to give you the tools and equip you to be able to do so. So head back, listen to those episodes. But today, Tommy, and for this month, going through the month of January, we really want to focus on some of the foundational science and some of the foundations mm -hmm. of a fasting lifestyle. So we're going to be talking about a study today which is the effect of time-restricted eating, aka fasting, on weight loss in adults with type 2 diabetes. Now, mm. some of you are going to be going, well, I don't have type 2 diabetes, right? Well, I get it. So if it works in type 2 diabetics, then it can work to prevent type 2 diabetes right. as well. And there's lots of cool things that have happened here inside of this study. Lots of big picture, big population type applications as well. Mm -hmm. So we want to make sure that you, you know, when we're talking about the foundations of fasting and why we do it, ultimately, you know, for me, it was reversing the undiagnosed prediabetes. There's 30 plus mm -hmm. million Americans diagnosed with diabetes, but then there's another 80 to 110 estimated million Americans that have prediabetes that's undiagnosed. They don't know it. So we want to empower you to be able to take something away from today's episode, start the year off on the right foot and really gain traction as we ramp up into 2024 through the month of January, Tommy. So super pumped to be going over and diving into some of the science and starting off the season and this year with a focus on something we talk often about, which is fasting and blood sugar. Yeah. And because if we can see what happens further down the disease process, then it can give us really, really good perspective, actionable steps that we can take now to, like you said, prevent ever being there or getting further along in that disease process. Because really a, a lot of these things that we we discuss are, you know, giving us insights from 
you know, being further down there where we don't want to go. So what we can do is we can actually apply the results from these studies. And it's really cool to get a, a grasp on what our insulin levels are, what our blood sugar is actually doing, and then look at the weight loss and the fat loss as well and, and see how to kind of manage and, and optimize it. And every time we, we see results that are potentially applicable from a study like this, and it, it's cool because even though you, you may have, you know, heard similar results in the past, it can give you just one more thing to remember a something to keep this and your fasting lifestyle like front of mind for the next fasting or eating decision that you might make or the next time you're taking a look at your blood work or strategizing for some other health related goal so i absolutely love this conversation here yeah and the reality is the statistics don't lie right so it's actually in 2019 is 37 million americans right i think i said 30 plus but it'd be a mm -hmm. little bit more accurate there and of those 37 with diabetes 8 million of those were undiagnosed. But then when you add in in 2019, 96 million Americans, so I gave you ranges, but I want to be a little bit more specific as I did have the numbers up in front of me, that have 18 years of age and older had prediabetes. And we're starting to see diabetes and youth numbers rise exponentially as well. So yeah. as we are spreading the the truth and the word about blood sugar is not something you have to, you only should worry about when you are a diabetic or a diagnosed pre-diabetic yeah. as you and I were experiencing symptoms mm -hmm. and precursors and warning signs like check engine lights saying, hey, mm -hmm. you're on the path to this, right? right? So the fatigue and the cravings and the insulin resistance and the weight loss resistance and the eat less, move more, calorie tracking macros. Mm -hmm. You know, I had the trifecta of sleep and stress added into that as well, proliferating the cortisol and insulin response. Ultimately, I was working harder and getting less results, which gets incredibly yeah. frustrating. We're going to talk about the compliance mm -hmm. with this study too, which is one of the cool takeaways. But the reality is, is like you're putting this effort forth. This time of year, it's, you know, people have a hyper focus, right? Maybe not this week because the holiday hangover is still real. Not saying the actual physical hangover of alcohol, mm -hmm. but the holiday hangover, maybe. right? Yeah. Maybe partially, maybe both, right. maybe one or the other. But the, you know, when the holidays, it's a busier time of year, right? So for us this year, we were really trying on focusing on trying to slow down. Right. Mm. And this time of year can also be, you know, you can not be with loved ones. There can be loss and grief and, and stress and additional opportunities for food. And this time of year, we, you know, we talked about a couple episodes ago about 50 to 90% of the weight that people gain during the holidays, they don't lose the next upcoming 12 months. Mm. Right. So, big yeah. picture here, we want to prevent, we want to heal, we want to reverse, we want to empower, we want to get the weight off quickly so we then can learn how to maintain those weight loss changes. There's nothing worse for me than six months of strictness and I get so close to my goal and then the life event or the holiday or the vacation or the honeymoon or the cruise or the life stressed event, yeah. changing job, moving, you know, loss, whatever it is. And then all of a sudden you're like, man, I got to work even harder now to get back there. We want to yeah. get you off of that dieting mentality and dieting roller coaster and, and transition you into an intuitive eating and fasting machine that knows that you'll never end up as one of those statistics that we just shared. And this wow. study Love is that. really cool in, in applying to some of the bigger groups in the bigger picture of some of the stuff that we truly believe in, some of the, the reasons why we think fasting is a superpower, right? It mm -hmm. is a way to accelerate the results and to regain control and simplify the process for so many. Yeah, absolutely. The subjects actually in this study were 75 participants with type 2 diabetes with, you know, elevated A1C, average A1C was 8.1. And mm -hmm. these participants had stable weight over the last three months. But one of the I things, love that. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like, and, but it's not that they weren't trying though. 
also. They were trying to lose the weight. They'd been trying, but you know, it was either going up or staying the same, just a little bit going up or a little bit going down or mostly staying the same. So relatively stable within the last three months, which is, you know, where most of us, you know, looking for fasting have some level of like weight loss frustration or some sort of like stagnation in the results. And so that's, that's not surprising. And, and that, that makes it very applicable for sure. And when we also look at this group, there were some various medications involved. Like we said, they're, they're type two diabetics. So right. different medications involved, which they accounted for, they adjusted, they had to adjust some dosages, things like that. But the, Cool thing is this wasn't just a like whitewashed clean sample set of like no outside variables and you know just the perfect sample set that I wouldn't be able to potentially identify myself with because oh well they they were already at healthy weight or just a little bit overweight or you know didn't have blood sugar you know related issues at all or or whatever anything like that so you know regardless of where you're coming to fasting from you can find some element of like outside variables that was also represented in this study here, which I, I really like. Yeah, the screening criteria was really cool for this randomized controlled study, as you were just mentioning. And the medication, uh, what was the terminology that they used? Because when they, they went through and accounted for that stuff, this is something that I hadn't mm -hmm. seen in a study up until this point. And the it, medication it was an effect score. Yeah, that was interesting to kind of go down the rabbit hole and kind of learn a little bit about that, because they do talk about the medication equation and how they handled that. And it was really all about, you know, getting a baseline of stability before we went into this trial. And when we're looking at the trial, there were three different groups. So there was the time-restricted eating group, which was the group that was told to eat between 12 and 8 p.m., right? Mm -hmm. So your standard, if you're new to fasting, your standard Google intermittent fasting, right. it's like skip breakfast. Skip that breakfast. Right? Start yeah. at 12, go to 8, right? Yeah. Here's Simple. the thing that I like without calorie counting. There's a lot mm. of studies that we've looked at where they will have a very strict A to B. Like, okay, this group, well, they want to standardize mm -hmm. and they want it to be equivalent, right? So it was cool to see that this speaks to real life application and simplification here it for does. me anyway, is without calorie counting. So we're talking about simplifying and they talk about the results here and we'll get to that in a second. And then the calorie restriction group was a 25% energy restriction daily. Mm -hmm. And then the control group, I was told, don't do anything different. <laughs> Just yeah. keep doing what you're doing. Yeah, including um, the, your choices on your plate, but also your activity level as well, which they, they did track over time. So, you know, then the control group basically had, you know, just a, a flat, neutral caloric intake for maintenance. So another cool thing here was that the actual intermittent fasting group, the time-restricted eating group on their own, almost accidentally, subconsciously reduced calories a little bit more than the planned 25% group, which is cool because they did that without even like worrying about it, tracking it on their on their phones or in, in some app. And so they weren't shooting for that because they weren't told that they had to do that. But on average, they ended up doing that. And we, we actually went into the research on that a little bit in some previous podcast episodes too, which is, it's really cool because there's multiple studies to back that up, that that just happens, which is, which is a nice added benefit of, okay, I'm doing it. It's a little bit more intuitive. It's simpler. I don't have to track as much. And the overall caloric deficit tends to follow in a, in an even better way than what I'm deliberately, you know, trying to manage that calorie deficit. Right. Yeah. And it was, I love to see that deficit accounted for the weight loss. Right. So yes, some of the commentary that they have in the bulk of the actual research article were some of the points that you and I talk often about. And when we're looking at the primary versus secondary metrics, you know, the body weight was the primary 
finding that they were looking at. And they found that the TRE group, the weight decreased significantly, right? But not in the calorie restriction group relative to the controls. Mm. And that was something that they mentioned in other similar studies that they referenced that typically you'll see that a similar weight reduction at the four and six month mark in a calorie restriction group mm -hmm. that would be more closely related to the decrease that they saw in the TRE group in this study. And it had to ultimately, one of the biggest things that I really enjoyed about this, this study was that they talked about the compliance component, right? So there was almost a 20 point difference in compliance and they met with dietitians weekly or biweekly. So there wasn't like, ah, oh, just report back to us in six months, right? And mm -hmm. they wore a CGM at, for 10 day periods at the different checkpoints that they had instilled during the, in, during the study. And so the simplicity, the I don't have to track, right? I get a little bit more freedom, which takes the pressure off and the adherence, the compliance to it. Because I know like this time of year, it's like, all right, I'll get back on my diet plan. I'll get back on my fasting plan. I'll go do a sure. another 72 hour fast. All right, the holidays right. are over and now it's time for me to kick back in, right? Oh man, mm -hmm. I love that this study showed that it was the actual opposite. Yeah, <clears throat> because they were finding that these participants in the time-restricted eating group were actually were compliant a little more than six out of seven days mm -hmm. each week for a six month period. 86%. Yeah, 86%. And then whereas on the counting calories caloric restriction group, they were only 68% only compliant 68% of the time. Right? So I mean, it's like, okay, so between the built in calorie deficit there that we got with the time restricted eating group more intuitively, and the far greater adherence and compliance over the long term, because almost everybody said that they were still able to maintain their level of compliance in the TRE group at six months, which is it, which is an incredible vote for for long term sustainability of what they were doing to continue, uh, you know, with that momentum over long term, because, you know, these these folks definitely had more to lose still at that point. They were not at their at their maintenance goals for sure. Yeah, and when we look at the percentage or the weight loss itself, it was at that five and six month mark is where the greatest gaps came in, right? Mm -hmm. So the control group kind of just did their thing, ebbed and flowed. The calorie restriction group, it was a steady decline more sharply in the first two months and kind of leveled out month three, four, five, and six. Mm -hmm. But in the TRE group, it was kind of a decline, steady decline, kind of mimicked the CR group for the first couple of months, leveled out in that third month, but then had a second wave of decline that got up next to that 5% range, which was really cool to see because, again, we want to talk about beginning with the end in mind or that sustainability piece. Yeah, because when we're when we're looking at a lot of these studies that we see, look at these kind of trends over six weeks, eight weeks, maybe 12 weeks, but the rubber really doesn't start to meet the road, if you will, until we really start pushing out, you know, for, for long-term durations, because most people who need to do something to reverse something or prevent it, they're going to need to take a little bit of a longer perspective than that. So I, I love any study that's going out past the three-month mark. So here we are going into the six-month Time frame, and then seeing you know a continued trend right there, which I, I think is really good because like especially after you drop some weight, you're a smaller version of yourself too. So now I'm having to adjust some habits over time because my plate size needs to be adjusted accordingly. My caloric need is a little bit less than it used to be for those pounds that I've lost. I'm not supporting as much you know extra fat tissue on my body. So these are important considerations that do take time to kind of adjust to. Whereas if you know if if things happen too quickly, 
And then I kind of just like pull the rug out from under me as far as the methods that I'm using, then it can be easy to revert back or see the scale, you know, come back. And, and I, I feel like I, I took a few steps forward, but then I took multiple steps backward as well. Couple of the other secondary statistics, which I found interesting too, was not just the primary of the scale, but that the fat mass decreased in the TRE group by month six, mm -hmm. but not in the CR group relative mm -hmm. to the controls. So both TRE and CR led to reductions in waist circumference, which is great because we know that's an indicator of diabetes and insulin resistance and metabolic syndrome. Lean mass and visceral fat didn't really change that much relative to the controls. And we'll talk about the food component here in just a second. So I'm actually not surprised by that when we looked at the fact that they were, they were recommended to follow the ADA guidelines on the uh, food macro composition, mm -hmm. fat, protein, and carbohydrates. But the BMI decreased in the TRE group as well, but not in the CR group. Mm -hmm. So more wins, like more yeah. rounds given if you're a boxing fan, right? So <laughs> the TRE group won more rounds in the many more rounds, most of the rounds, all except one in the secondary statistical analysis component of the study, which I thought was really cool. Yeah. And you know, one thing that, that I found interesting was that they measured something called euglycemic range. So mm, they were actually yep. looking at the time within a quote unquote normal glycemic range, but some studies will use different, different actual reference ranges for that. For this one, it was between 70 and 180 milligrams per deciliter. Wait, say, so, stop, slow down. Say that again. Okay. So for this study, they were, they were using a euglycemic range right. to define the normal range as between 70 and 180 milligrams per deciliter. That's a pretty wide range. 180 is normal 180. for diabetics, but can we please just talk about the fact that that is not normal physiologically? Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to be seeing 180. And to take a look, I would have loved if this study had tightened up that range to detect a difference there within what they considered normal that was before the 180. Like maybe if they had if they had looked at a range up to one thirty yeah, yeah. yeah. That would have been nice because we, we could have zoomed in on some even a little bit more differentiation to see if we saw a difference between these groups right here. That would have been really cool. Yeah. And that kind of leads me to this the blood sugar component where we were talking about the changes in A1C and whatnot. Is because when we looked at their food recommendations, you know, 41 to 42 percent of the dietary recommendations for these mm -hmm. folks who have diabetes yeah. were carbohydrates. Their calories were, their meals were 40 to 42 percent carbohydrates. Did I not say that right? Yes, exactly. No, you, I just wanted to stress you it. Just wanted to say it again. Yeah. So, and 15 of that percent was sugar and then 40 percent fat and only 18 percent protein. Mm. Like, whoa, let's flip that, let's flip it on its head. Right. Yeah. So I'm not surprised that there were some changes, you know, not some changes in terms of the A1C between the groups. Time restricted eating, obviously, in this study and others that they mentioned, significant weight loss. 16-8. Right. Just 16-8 yeah. compared to the control group. But that whole carbohydrate component and the, and we're not anti-carb, by the way, if you're new. No, no, no. Right? Love a good now, carb. If you're reversing diabetes, yes, let's cut them out. Let's prime it. Let's get the weight off, right? Mm -hmm. Let's, and then we can slowly reintroduce when your body is more uh, able to process them more normally, yeah. right? Yeah. And maybe for some of y'all, low carb lifestyle is the way to go, right? But sure. that 180 number, I just want to talk about that for a second. So that's like having the answers to the SATs. Like you've got the bubbled in Scantron because <laughs> if you're using medications and you're following the ADA recommended guide of 42% carbohydrates, are you really reversing or preventing disease? No, you're managing it. You're managing the numbers. 
right? Well, we're not just a number. Diabetes starts, there's new research out that shows that insulin resistance will start in the skeletal muscle decades before it shows up in the labs and the liver. Mm-hmm. And then years before it shows up in an abnormal fasted blood sugar. Yeah. Right? So this 180 number, yes, that's normal for diabetics. But if we want to get you to tick down the scale, tick down the BMI chart, tick down the A1C, you know, categories, right? From diabetic to pre-diabetic, get your euglycemic range, the range of the time of normal or the area under the curve, right? For your blood sugar down, reverse the insulin resistance, then I would absolutely love to see some longer fasting windows and some different macros and ADA food recommendations, right? Yeah, yeah. It's crazy. Yeah, it is. You know, the crazy thing was also that when you look at the the table of some of these numbers, like when they were, you know, like you mentioned, they were wearing a CGM, a continuous glucose monitor. They had these little, these windows, these like 10 day windows when they mm-hmm. were, when they were doing that. So they saw a reduction in the mean glucose level. So between the, in the TRE group and in the caloric restriction group, actually it was a little bit better on some of those readings for the caloric restriction group. I'd like to see even a little bit more granular data right. on what As that to looks why. like. And, yeah. yeah. And how the trends went with that too. But the thing about that is with the control group, it was a big increase. So we're talking about minus 11 to minus 17 on the experimental groups and a plus 31 on the control group. So the control group's blood sugar control was not under control. It went non-existent control. Yeah. 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 And, And so, and this was, again, they were basically at maintenance calories and they weren't really gaining weight, but at the same time here with, without being cognizant of it and without, you know, using compartmentalization of their meal timing or their calories, their blood sugar control was getting worse, which is also what we see. That's where the trends come from for the pre-diabetes and the being overweight and the obesity trends that we see all across the world. They, they start there. They, they start with a little less blood sugar control, which leads to a little bit higher fasting insulin levels that leads to a little bit more stress on, on the liver and the rest of the system that then starts showing up on, you know, tick by tick on the scale and in the blood work and, and things like that, that, that takes years, but we can glean so much to do to kind of like accelerate what we can do to reverse or prevent like from a study like this. Uh, again, that's, that's just why we started off the conversation with, with those connection points. Yeah. So big picture, what does it look like? Right when you're looking at a fasting lifestyle. Well, there's lots of good and some limitations to the study that we just mentioned, right? Mm -hmm. I love that there was a systemization of obtaining a baseline for folks leading into this. And the fact that it spans so many different, you know, little caveats or nuances to what it what it looks like for sustainable weight loss, and not just diabetes maintenance, but for us, what we want is diabetes reversal, right? Mm -hmm. So it was interesting when you know, some of the limitations to the study, you know, they did the medication equation in primary and secondary outcomes, but they did rely on self-reported dietary intake, right? Mm-hmm. And here's some some reality is that since individuals with obesity tend to underreport energy consumption by 15 to 20%, it's likely that the estimates of energy intake are inaccurate. Mm-hmm. So these results were obtained with, in our recommendation, poor dietary guidelines, yeah. right? using normal ranges that we would like to see acknowledged, Mm -hmm. tightened up, up, and the possibility that there was a, oh, and your basic eight hour, you know, intermittent fasting 16-8 window, right? Which Mm -hmm. you can do a lot more with 24 or 30 or 36 hour fast. We don't need to go really much longer than that. Right, get the blueprint to fasting for fat loss, for sure. I knew it, yep, Yep. Uh uh-huh. 
right? So that's <laughs> in the show notes. Up. Yep. yep. 20 page PDF. It's got everything in there. It's got fasting schedules to push that window. And the possibility that there was a 15 to 20% under reporting in both mm. groups, right? Because yeah. they're talking about everybody in this in this study fell into type 2 diabetes and or no, and in the obese BMI category, right? Yeah. So you know what? Go in ahead. that BMI change, you mentioned the fat mass change as well, mm -hmm. but the fat mass change in the time-restricted eating group was actually 30% greater than in the caloric restriction group, which means that the additional weight loss, and we, we talked about how the weight loss was, was higher in the time-restricted eating group, but was accounted for with greater caloric restriction that they right. ended up doing in a more simple, intuitive way, but more of their weight loss was fat which is absolutely what we want, better body composition at the end of it, mm -hmm. even, if metabolic the, yeah, even if the weight loss was the same. Like we have incredibly promising results here in a high-risk population that we can apply to everyday life for anybody. Absolutely love it. So great, incredible study. Love the big picture application. Would I love to see some of those, you know, you were able to achieve these results, right? More fat mass, more weight loss, better adherence, simplicity, didn't mm -hmm. have to track, possibly had an underreporting with poor dietary recommendations and crazy normal ranges. Right. And the results are still incredible, right? Yep. So you may be listening going, I don't have diabetes. Well, we don't ever want you to give it because I was an undiagnosed pre-diabetic with a fasting insulin number that made me want to, oh, even just thinking about it. Yeah. I had the signs and symptoms. I had it. If you're looking to know the signs and symptoms of insulin resistance, we have a PDF and insulin assessment on our website, thefasting, thefastingforlife.com. You can go there, click resources, boom, it's there. You can download it. It's a subjective, answer some questions. It gives you a score, it gives you an idea to start thinking about, well, am I? And on the back of that, it has a waist to height circumference ratio as well, which is an indicator of insulin resistance and metabolic syndrome, right? So if we want to talk about healthcare as being preventative rather than reactionary, then we want you all to start this year by taking an action. So head to the show notes, click the link, get the blueprint to fasting for fat loss, right? It's 20 pages. It's free. We'll send it to you in your email. It has different fasting schedules, some of the what and the why behind fasting, some of the different variations of fasting. Some of y'all just need a refresher. Some of y'all need to really dive in and commit. Some mm -hmm. of y'all are brand new, right? Yep. Some of you OGs that are listening to this, this should be a reaffirmation that 2024 should be a continuation of your fasting journey up until this point. Tommy, I love the fact that fasting can apply to any walk of life, mm -hmm. any way you decide to eat, to live, to function. Fasting is versatile. Yeah. You can be a carnivore or you can just live on air, <laughs> right? You can be a vegan, you can be a pescatarian, you can, it doesn't matter. Anything mm. in between, right? No I was label. trying to think of, yeah. what did you yeah, say? You could be a no, you could be a no label, yeah. yeah. Just be a hey, I have an eating yeah. style label, right? It's fine. And it, just and don't be a standard work. American diet, okay? <laughs> most of the time. At least so most of the time, yeah. What I love about it is that fasting can be so powerful for so many of those groups. And I just love that this study has so many connection points. So grab the insulin assessment, grab the fasting for life blueprint. It's January 2024. This year mm -hmm. can be absolutely incredible. Join the Facebook community. Go to the show yeah, notes. Just click all the, the links. Right? Literally, just yeah. join us, get in, get involved, get with us. Get in the tree of trust. We break the two rules of fasting 24 seven. We talk about fasting all the time. Right. Sometimes I joke, you know, three and a half million downloads later, 200 plus episodes later, three plus, almost four plus years in fasting later. And we still have incredible conversations, incredible testimonials. And we want yeah. this year to be your year for you to be that person that's going to break through, that's going to get the result, that's going to reverse the condition, that's going to finally make it a lifestyle and get off of that dieting crazy roller coaster once and Heck for yeah. all. Wow. So love it. 
as we launch into 2024, happy new year to you, sir. Beard's looking happy good as always. Oh, you guys, you. yeah, we're gonna start doing some video too so you can actually see <laughs> us because it's been requested and we, we're just, oh, you know, we're cool. just old dogs that don't like new tricks, but we are uh, gonna be joining the video train here coming up real soon as well. Yes. So happy new year to everybody. Come join us next week. Click the show notes. Go take an action and mm. get that momentum going for 2024. Tommy, as always, appreciate the conversation, sir. Talk Thank soon. Thank you. Bye. So you've heard today's episode and you may be wondering, where do I start? Head on over to thefastingforlife.com and sign up for our newsletter where you'll receive fasting tips and strategies to maximize results and fit fasting into your day-to-day life. While you're there, download your free Fast Start Guide to get started today. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure to leave us a five-star review, and we'll be back next week with another episode of Fasting for Life.